0: Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. In my case, uh, it was a broken ankle, a broken ankle several years ago that uh, forced me to stop and observe my life. I had never broken anything in my life, and never been brought to a standstill in my life, Uh, This was a first for me. A broken angle not only uh, made me slow down and reflect, but also uh, (laughs) made me uh, put my my leg, uh, elevate my leg so that I couldn't move. Um, It was was an incredible three months of, of pondering and trying to get around with crutches with my leg elevated. It was not a fun time of my life, but God used it in a spectacular way for me to, get rid of the distractions that were keeping me from walking closer with the Lord. And it was a great pause, good pause button for God to stop me and for me to reflect on my life. Oftentimes, uh, those moments bring us to a point of desperation where we realize we got nothing else and realize that we needed to go to the one who has everything and who knows everything, who knows us by name, who's been watching us all along and cry out to him. And very often in those points of desperation, whether we believe God exists or not, we cry out to him, right? We've been in these moments of crisis, you can probably tell us all stories of those moments maybe in your life where uh, maybe you had a car accident or you lost, uh, but you at some point said, God, please, I need you. If you exist, please help me. I've had numerous moments like this of desperation where I've, I've been forced to stop. And uh, when I cry out to God, God is faithful. And I realize in those moments when I cry out to him that he's always been there. He's always been watching. I just wasn't aware of it. He's always been observing. He's always been moving me to a point where actually I would cry out to him. And then I'm overwhelmed in those moments by the felt love of God, where I experience him truly, tangibly, I experience him. And I'm convinced once again to to get past the limits of my logic, the limits of my understanding of science. And I just place faith in the living God because I've experienced him personally. I experienced God actively drawing me to himself. Uh, the Bible is uh, packed full of incredible stories of life experiences of people just like, just like us who've sinned horribly, who've done horrible things, they've gone through crisis, and, but in God's, God's love orchestrates a moment of desperation so they'll cry out and find salvation. I'd like for you this morning to meet King Manasseh. One of those incredible stories that we see in the, the, the books of the kings and also the books of the chronicles, First uh, and Second Chronicles. You read about him in the second book of Chronicles. And just to give you a little background here, uh, I don't know when the last time you cracked open your Bible to the Old Testament, uh, anyone? Uh, but there, there's a book there called the First Chronicles, and there's a book called the Second Chronicles. Now, these two books were written uh, probably uh, by a person. Um, he's unnamed. We don't know who he was, but Potentially, he was the prophet Ezra, but he would have written uh, a history, a documentation of the history from King Solomon until the end of the kings when uh, the Jews were brought into exile. Written probably uh, in a group of, of small group of people trying to survive, uh, and they would have written this history. Uh, this is a chronicling, it's a gathering of, of facts, of, of truth. Uh, that came from official documents, some unofficial documents, but to, to bring this story together of the kings. It's really a story in the book of Chronicles. It's a story of kings who were faithful to God and kings who were unfaithful to God and God's reaction to them. So here we have King Manasseh who's later in the book, Second Chronicles verse 33. And we see here this passage, 2nd uh, Chronicles verse 33, uh, sorry, chapter 33 verses 12 through 13. And this is what it says. But while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord, his God, and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized, what? That the Lord alone is God. In his moment of desperation, he cries out to God, God hears him, God answers restores him he realizes that the Lord alone is God now she's interacting with the sermon this morning Uh, I have a personal discipleship moment here later Um, 2 Chronicles chapter 33 and following talks about this uh, the aspect of how evil actually King Manasseh was and why God brought him to a point of being captured and it and, uh, details the story. King Manasseh was uh, 12 years old when he became king. And uh, he was evil. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, the Bible tells us very clearly. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Uh, it goes on to say that he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of him. He was so bad, he was worse than everyone that was driven out of the land uh, so that the Jews could actually come to the land. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up uh, Asherah poles. He also bowed before all the powers of the heavens and worshiped them. He built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord, a place where the Lord had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In chapter six, uh, sorry, verse six, we see this, that Manasseh also sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnah. You realize this really was a horrible person who practiced evil things to the point where he was willing for the sake of his worship to kill his own children on altars as sacrifices to these other gods. He practiced sorcery, divination, witchcraft. He consulted mediums, consulted psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight. And in verse six here, it says here, he aroused the Lord's anger. Made God mad. He ticked off God. I, I was fascinated by this of how angry God actually was because the Bible goes on to chronicle just how angry God was at the behavior of King Manasseh because there had been no king uh, before uh, King Manasseh who had ever behaved this this poorly and this badly, especially when you consider that King Manasseh was raised by a godly father, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But let's see how angry God was here. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 15. He says, uh I will appoint over them, speaking of King Manasseh, very specifically, speaking of King Manasseh, he says, I will appoint over them four forms of destruction, says the Lord. The sword to slay, the dogs to drag, the birds of the heavens, and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. I will hand them over to trouble to all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. We can establish very clearly just from scripture that King Manasseh was horrible. You can also establish from Scripture that that God was angry with him for being so poor and so horrible. Not poor, evil. So angry that God was designing four forms of destruction for King Manasseh. That's pretty impressive, right? The sword to slay. So he was arranging, orchestrating that a sword would come and kill him. So either, we don't know how that was gonna be, but the sword was being arranged. Dogs to drag, now we understand this, uh, if we've experienced any kind of uh, places here in Namibia where we uh, look at wild animals, we know this well. dogs, and different types of animals, hyenas. Uh, we, we understand dogs that are capable of actually coming and, and killing and dragging uh, people away. We hear these stories every now and again with our special tourists who come here and uh, hyenas bite them in the head. You story recently about this. We can relate to that, but these were abundant. These were everywhere, so God was orchestrating this to take place. The birds of the heavens uh, to come and devour and destroy. The New Living Translation translates this as vultures eating something that was already dead, but it could be, Scripture tells it's possible that these were huge birds of prey, birds that would come down and actually grab people and take them off. We don't know but God was orchestrating it to devour and destroy. And then the fourth the fourth form of trouble was that they would be in trouble with other nations. And they would be basically uh, uh, an example of, of, of horror to other nations is how this is written. I think this is really fascinating and, and frightening to think about that if I apply this to my own life, that if I'm not repenting and moving and coming to God, that God is already orchestrating my destruction. You have to ask yourself the question, if this is the same God today as was back then, and he is, uh, if he's planning that for us, you wonder how many forms of destruction God has planned for you and for me. Interesting to think about, right? And this points to a God that is not just sitting back and ignoring your life. Uh, We see this God who is continually and continually, Consistently observing your life. The, the God that is, that is always, the absolute God who is sovereign, who is timeless, who is always present. And this God is the one who is looking at our lives. I wonder how many forms of destruction God had planned for me at different times in my life. How about you? Praise the Lord, we belong to a God, though, that is faithful and loves us and wants to bring us to repentance so that he can save us. 2 Chronicles 33, verse 9 says this, that Manasseh led the people of Judah and Jerusalem to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. Manasseh had a godly father, an amazing example. Hezekiah, if he was one of the most incredible and enjoyable parts of of the Chronicles of the Kings, is to read about his father. His father was this extraordinary man who continually humbled himself before the Lord and sought God for help and uh, whenever he was in trouble. We see this. We see this over and over again. We see the King Hezekiah, his father, always calling out to God. And he saw, we're pretty sure, that uh, King Manasseh as a child would have observed the, the freedom that God had given Hezekiah when the Assyrians were coming down There's this incredible story in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, the chapter just before the one, chapter 32, the one we're looking at now. But it's this story of how Hezekiah, when the Assyrians were coming and threatening and taunting not only him, but also taunting his God, threatened to come and destroy him. Hezekiah got on his knees and led the people of Israel to get on their knees and humble themselves before God and beg God for help, and God delivered them. We're told in Scripture, 2 Chronicles verse 32 that um, the Lord sent an angel and destroyed the Assyrian army and his commanders and officers. The destruction was so incredible that the, the king of Assyria was forced to return home in disgrace to his own land, and he was killed by his sons when he got back to Assyria. That's how devastating the blow was from God. Manasseh would have known that. He would have seen the God of his father delivering him. Not only that, Not only this incredible delivery from enemies, but also Hezekiah became very sick. We don't know what illness he had, but he had been healed by God, miraculously healed. We also know from scripture that Hezekiah was made very rich uh, because of God. And and Hezekiah gave God credit for all of these things. This is the home in which he lived in. Uh, Effectively, King Manasseh as a child was raised in a Christian home, saw God move in miraculous ways. But he still chose to be an absolute evil man, more extraordinarily evil than any king could come before. And he had been warned. St Chronicles 33 verse 10 says this, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored all of his warnings. So the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies, and they took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose so they could pull him like a dog bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. St. Chronicles, verse chapter 33, verse 12. After he's led away to Babylon, this is what happens. While in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord as God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. When he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. I'm blown away by this. Of how extraordinary evil King Manasseh was. But how much more powerful is the love and forgiveness of God the Father. And God's ability not only to bring him back, to forgive him, but also change him keep reading, and you see that Manasseh was not the same king. In chapter 33, we see this transformation of his whole character. He got rid of all of the pagan altars. He removed all of the worship articles outside of the temple so that they would only worship the one true God. He led his nation to to worship and serve God again. He He was a changed man. It's often at our point of desperation, that we're willing to cry out to God. And God, in his grace, his compassion, listens to us. I think for many of us, when we consider these stories, when we consider our own lives, possibly maybe you wonder, what, what right does God have to even have an opinion about our lives? So, so for many people would say, well, I don't even believe in God because I'm just going to do whatever I want. It's an easy kind of sideway logic that gets you out of responsibility and accountability. But the fact of the matter is, is that God is sovereign. God does exist. There's only one true God who observes, who watches our lives. And we cry out to him, he's there. We humble ourselves before him. He longs to draw us to himself so that he can change us. We have to come before him and acknowledge that he is God. We see this when Jesus sent out the apostles out to be evangelists. He said, listen, there's a lot of things you can be afraid of in this world, but don't be afraid of them because I'm God. I I want you to see Matthew 10, his argument, Matthew 10, verse 26. Don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. And what I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout for the housetops, for all to hear. And he goes on to say in verse 28, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Hallelujah. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock. Of it's one of my most favorite passages of all time because I think it spells out for us clearly who God is in these moments. This is the same God who was dealing with King Manasseh, the God of absolute justice. Matthew 10 makes it very clear that everything that's done in secret will be exposed. God will make right all things that are wrong because he is over every kingdom. He's, every, he's over every court. He's over every justice system. God who is absolutely just, will make sure that justice prevails. He is absolutely powerful. There is no one more powerful than God. God has power not only of our bodies, but also our spirit, our soul. And he is perfectly loving. That's the sign that blows people away who are arguing with the existence and reality of God is when they experience his love, All of a sudden, all the logic and science of this world just doesn't add up when you realize this reality of God's love. Ask anyone who's fallen in love with someone who wants to marry them. I've asked this question many times to people that I'm about to do their wedding and say, why why are you getting married? Logical, scientific people will say to me over and over again, I don't know. I just love her. I just love him. I mean, look at him. Who couldn't love this? (laughs) Love, love overwhelms very often the limits of our logic and the limits of our understanding because our logic and our understanding is limited. God overwhelms us with himself and then we realize oh, you you do exist. You are real. You alone are God. This was the conviction of King Maness. He realized, oh, you are God because he experienced God's compassion in a deep moment of desperation. God is absolutely just, God is absolutely powerful, God is perfectly loving. That's the God who watches us. There's only one true God, and every one of us will have to give an answer to him at some stage, right? Romans 14 verse 12 says this, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Romans 3 says this, Romans 3, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Paul goes on to write to Timothy, he says this in 1 Timothy 2. He says, pray, pray for all people, because God is over all. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for who? For kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Who wants who everyone to be saved and to understand the truth? For there is one God, one mediator, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Paul goes on to say, he says, I'm not exaggerating about this. I'm just telling you the truth. I love that. So, Manasseh, when he's in deep distress, seeks out the Lord and sincerely humbles himself before the God of his ancestors. and he, And he prays, and the Lord listens to him, has compassion on him. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Manasseh finally realizes that the Lord alone is God. There's forgiveness, right, from God. We think about those four four plans for destruction. The dogs, the predators from the air, the sword, the horror to the nations. Those four plans of God to destroy him. If you read deeper in Jeremiah, you see that God was just sick and tired of even hanging out with these people. He was sick and tired of listening to them. But because of the love of God, when King Manasseh humbled himself before him, God came and he forgave. Wow. And not just forgave, restored, moved him, changed his life. He came back and became a great king, a godly king. 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 14 and following. I don't have it up here, but it just just details all of the transformation that took place in his life. Getting rid of all of of the evil practices in Judah and making sure he was intentional about moving his people to worship God again. Incredible, incredible action. God finds him when he's alone and desperate and God answers him after he humbles himself. God will not always restore what you had. right? In this case, he did. There are consequences to sin. We know that. Potentially, one of the consequences for King Manasseh was his own son, Amon, who, uh, when he became king, was worse than even King Manasseh was when he was evil. So bad that his own family killed him after two years of bleeding. God is aware of our sin. But God makes a provision for us to be transformed. And God's provision goes past the depth of our sin. Uh, This morning we could think of, can we think of something or someone more evil than King Manasseh, who was willing even to kill his own children for his worship? I I can't think of any more evil, any, any greater evil than that. And God is able not only to forgive him, but to transform him into a new person. God's provision goes past the depth of our sin. This is amazing to me. I think all of us this morning can consider and think about someone who is so bad, so evil, that we think there's no way that God would forgive them or should forgive that individual. If this morning, if I ask you, if you can think of someone who never deserves forgiveness, can you think of that person? I think most of us this morning can name at least two or three people that we think are really not deserving of any kind of forgiveness, from me or from God. But God's love goes past that. His capacity goes beyond that. Where we are limited in our understanding, where we are limited in our ability to forgive, God can go beyond that, not only forgiving but also transforming. I want us to look at Romans 5 this morning just to get some kind of a doctrine, a theology of understanding the depth of God's love. This is what he says. He says, Romans 5, verse 20. God's law was given so that all people would see how sinful they were. But as peoples sinned more and more, what happened? This is in verse 20. God's wonderful grace, what? Became more abundant. As our sin increased, God's provision increased. That's that's phenomenal. Incredible. I think we can agree this morning that there isn't a level of evil and sin that is so far past that can go past and beyond the grace that's provided for us in Jesus Christ. There isn't a sinner, there's not an evil person who is beyond the loving grasp of Heavenly Father. I find that extraordinary. Verse 21, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God, and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And before you thought of it, Paul also thought of this in Romans 6, where he says, so do we just keep sinning so that God's grace will abound? It's that famous passage. Look at this, Romans 6, verse 1. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Is that that the answer? When we've experienced the incredible love of God that goes past any sin we could ever commit, Do we then pause and think to ourselves, well, then I'm just going to keep on sinning because obviously the more I sin, the more grace there is for me, more forgiveness. That is a wrong conclusion. That is a devastating conclusion. Paul says in verse 2, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And then Romans 6, verse 10, we see the, the goal of his grace. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now he lives. He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. As sin increased, God's provision increased. Yes, we all agree. That's why God can forgive an evil person like King Manasseh and me. The goal of increased grace is to reach, accommodate the worst of the worst. It's so that the worst of the worst can find salvation in him and hope. But not so they'll continue sinning, but so they'll be transformed into new beings. God, when he comes and forgives us, he also transforms us. And so the grace of God, which is enough and sufficient for the worst of sinners, is also sufficient enough to bring us into transformation. God's provision of grace for us is mind-boggling. Absolutely mind-blowing. God defies, God's grace defies our logic, right? When you look at, just open up the book of justice and you say, should Brian be punished? Does he deserve the punishment of death? Yes, according to the law, I deserve death. I deserve to be punished because of my sin is against God, my creator. But God in his grace did something incredible that I could not do for myself. He forgave me. He said, you forgive forgiven. I love you. And he changed me and transformed me. That is the power of our God. How kind of God, instead of giving him those four disasters, <laughs> how kind of God to discipline Manasseh so that in his deep distress, he would call out to God and discover the kindness of his grace. The fact is, is that, that God is busy right now in your lives, in my life, orchestrating events so that we can humble ourselves and be punished? No, orchestrating events so that we can find forgiveness and have relationship with the one and only true God. It begs the question of us, what in my life is happening right now that is being orchestrated by God the Father to bring me in my relationship with him? What is it is he doing, orchestrating in my life, to pull me towards him? as Paul says in Acts 17, so that possibly we would would look for him and find him. The writers of the Bible were convinced that our world and and the the timing of our life and the geography of our life, where we live, when we were born, the placement of whatever family we're in, whatever our situation, that it was designed very specifically that we would reach out and find him. And most of the writers of the Bible would say, he's not far from us. He can be found. Imagine, king, all by himself, in prison. And he decides, why don't I try God? He's no longer at all of his altars. he built all over. He's just alone. And where is God? He's there. And he cries out to him. And God answers him changes. So what can happen to you and me? We're willing to humble ourselves before the Lord instead of complaining about our circumstances. Say, God, what is it about the situation that I'm missing? I, I want to I find you. I want to discover you. We need to stop removing the God perspective out of our situation and realize that this situation, the timing of our lives, The limits of our lives, the geography of our lives have been designed to bring us to a point of humility before the Lord so that we can repent and call out to him and discover him. God is busy drawing us to himself, actively drawing us to himself. This is why Jesus came in the form of a man, preaching what? Repentance and forgiveness. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross, so that there would be a way so that we could have right relationship. What do we need to do? This morning, I want us to do several things. I want us to look at our situation, stop complaining about it, and I want us to consider how possibly your situation has been designed for you to call out to God. And instead of trying to figure out a way to get out of your situation, humble yourself before the Lord and cry out to Him. This is a change of thinking that needs to take place. Instead of being irritated by my circumstances, acknowledge this is God drawing me to himself. Acknowledge that. Second thing. Then pray. Humble yourself before him and acknowledge his existence. And discover the sweet love of God in that moment. And let him change your lives. God is actively in his absoluteness. He is actively, powerfully, justly and lovingly drawing you to himself. That is the love. Let's stand together. Let's worship. Lord Jesus, we give you praise. We thank you, Father, that uh, you are faithful. Lord, when we are unfaithful, I thank you, God, that your grace, your provision is way past my sin. I thank you, Lord, that you draw me to yourself and you change me. We give you praise today for your love, God. We are overwhelmed by your love. This is Rico Aveca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.